We're live. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Look at this. It, it, Harry Brown's on opening session. Len Foxwell and I decided last year that we were going to go over to Chesapeake Brewing right, right down the street. And good friends of ours, good friends of the Comptrollers. Oh, great people. Carolyn and David Marquis. They're, they're the best. Yeah, they are. They are the best. And Lynn, it's always an honor to be here. We just did this back in December. December 23rd, to yeah. be exact? Yeah. yeah. Can you speak a little closer to Mike, Lynn? Is this better? Oh, it's perfect. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Just do a mic check. Red Jimmy 1-2. Red Jimmy. Red Jimmy 1-2. Dean of the Press Corps, 3-4. <laughs> mm. Bingo. <laughs> Christina Ginsburg, 5-6. So, Chris, Leo Thuman, 7-8. Leo Thuman, Barry O'Connell. We got uh, Dave Bond. We have... Uh, Owen Silverman Andrews. O- Owen Silverman Andrews, who accused me of sexism. I thought that was... What do you think about that? I wrote that, you know, that piece that got a bunch of... Uh, right. Got a, got a, everybody, everywhere I went today, people said, Hey, Miner, I saw your winner and losers column. I even had... To, the God bless them, the governor's press office, and they're, they're really good people. They said, you know, when you're talking about uh, the comptroller's office does it better, they, the press office said, well, you're talking about us. And I said, no, no, no. I said, let me tell you, you guys are a top grade A shop. Yeah. And uh, they are. Yeah. They're consummate professionals. But, Len, here today's, we are. Today's a good day, by the way. Uh, you were at the Board of Public Works meeting, or at least we're following it on live stream. And yeah. Uh, I was there. Th- earlier today, we managed to uh, approve a uh, the first major step in a in what is going to be remembered as the largest public-private partnership agreement in North American history to build a a widened capital beltway and a better American Legion bridge for the people of the Washington region. I'd like to get into that in just a moment, but a brief introduction. Harry Brown's here on State Circle, it's owned by a gentleman named Rusty. It's been around for a long time. Uh, they graciously allowed me to live stream and podcast here as the a minor detail podcast flagship Annapolis location last year. I emailed the group again, and we they, they graciously invited me to come back. So, Len, it is an honor to be here. And to Harry Brown's to Annapolis to legislative session... This is where real conversations after hours happen. And you've, you've been in this business a long time, Lynn. You know what this establishment means. So it's just, it's interesting that we're here. And it- well, when, you know, when I came to Annapolis, 20, this is my 25th year in town, Ryan. And when I first came to town, a very wise person said, there are three levels of the legislative lawmaking process there's the floor the floor sessions (laughs) number two there are committees where a lot of the work is done and then there's a second floor of Harry Brown's and then there's the second floor where it it where the deals go down where the deals come together where deals are made where deals are where deals are are dropped alliances are forged alliances are split so much Annapolis history has been has been consummated right here on the second floor of Harry Brown's. It's when amazing I, you and I are doing this show from this historic venue on this opening night of the 2020 General Assembly. 2020 General Assembly. Len, when I walked up, sitting in the leather chairs, which is 
pretty much the king's seat there. That, right. that little island that you come up on Harry Brown's, this is what it's... Oh, thank you, sir. Oh, that is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my What God. is this? Look at this. Oh, what uh, is this? Look, look at, at this. Todd Lamb. Todd Lamb is a creature of the Annapolis machine. You look need to know. What is this? Look, show the camera, Lynn. It says, welcome to the machine. I'm, we- I'm reading this. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Welcome. Welcome to the machine. Sincerely. Do you see who it is? The machine. Do you see Secretary Tiffany Robinson? I see Secretary Tiffany Robinson. I see Colin from the governor's office. Colin, who's the governor's constable. I see my former deputy chief of staff over there, Manny it's Welsh. The whole- <laughs> His former deputy chief of staff. <laughs> But look at this. And, and, they, and they have the temerity. They have the audacity to give us a Bud Light. Bud Light. That's piss water. I that's know. Ben Kramer's famous. That's, that's his favorite beer. This is, the beer. this is the beer of Kings and the Economic Matters Committee. Oh, oh. We should send a, that. But you know what? You know who we should send that to? Who? I'm thinking of somebody in the speaker's office. No. No. No, listen. You know what? It's a new day. Yeah. We're working. We're working with the legislature. We're working with the Chairman Davis. It is a new day. We're cooperating. Yeah. We're going to get things done for the people of Maryland because more than anything, people yeah. expect their government to work. And I'll give I'll give those guys credit. Last year, they came in and they initiated some meaningful reforms that benefit the craft beer industry. They had a major craft beer piece of legislation. Yeah. Len, we got a lot to talk about tonight, and I want to bounce around a bit. Please. So hey, just do just do a sound check and. What are people saying? Are they are, are they commenting? Wait a minute, hang on. All right, you're hang mobile. On. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> Look at. <laughs> talked about Susan O'Brien saying she had to go home. I don't know. I think people are hearing us. Okay. Well, that's good. They they might be listening. Susan probably always clenches her teeth in her, and just she's probably always like, "Oh, Lynn, please be good." I don't know how to deal with. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> there's no way to. There's nowhere to go with that. Everywhere. Su- Susan, um, actually, is a is a crazy thing. She was actually walking across the crosswalk uh, at the Calvert Street parking garage yeah. last night uh, on her way to an event right here, and she actually got um, hit. Is she okay? By a car. Yeah, she's fine. She went to the I, emergency I saw her room. Today. And she went to the emergency room. She got checked oh out. Turns, she has some bumps and bruises, but she. She actually got hit by a car last night. Did they find the? Did, did the car stop? The car. To, I mean, it was, it was to that person's credit. It was a state employee because okay. all anyone who parks in that parking lot is a state employee. Person was distraught. Obviously, they stopped and they, you know, made sure she was okay. Yeah. Well, it was purely. I'm accidental. so sorry. Susan's great, and I, I hope she's okay. Dear God, I got when I was in college, I got I got hit by a car. Did you really? I was jogging, and it was. I was. It was a an evening in September, and I. It was my sophomore year of college in, in the city of Pittsburgh, and a car just went and ran me over. Well, not ran me. Where were you? Pittsburgh. But I, I know that. The right. south. The south side of Pittsburgh. Jesus. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you a story about someone getting hit by a car? Yeah. Okay. So my first my first year in town, I was I was on the side running a congressional campaign for this. First year in what town? In Annapolis here. Oh. Okay. Nineteen ninety six. Jesus. It's twenty four years twenty five years old. I was okay? in, I was uh, eleven years old. Okay. Well, I was here. I was running a congressional campaign, working for Paris Glendening, and nights and weekends, we'll we'll say, running a congressional campaign for this. Dorchester County prosecutor named Mike Maloney, who was running for the seat that was then held by Wayne Gilchrist. We didn't, we didn't have a snowball's chance of winning. We were just trying to block some other 
wingnut from actually getting the Democratic nomination that year, okay? Anyway, in Saver the Saverna Park Democratic Club had a candidate named... Oh, sorry. What? It's live. Oh, that's okay. Oh. Please. Sharon Blue, just everybody. She is a disruptor of the Annapolis machine. Sharon Belugis is the single best political and field organizer in Anne Arundel County. And she is, she is exactly the model uh, that, of, of what you want from a public servant. Yeah. One it, of the most effective public servants I've ever down, worked with. You, if you duck down, you and can wave into the wave. camera. Yeah. That's right. I hear that she's, I tell you what, you've got a bright pol political future. I've been following you. She's someone who is in it for all the right reasons. Oh, thank you. She is a disruptor. She's in it for the people. And she is an absolute credit to County Executive Stuart Pittman's office. Yeah. I saw Stuart Pittman today, but please finish your story. Okay. Okay. So understand this. The Saverna Park Democratic Club, active membership, probably 11. They were led by a guy named Ed Doyaz. Doyaz? Doyaz. D-O-Y-A-S. And if some of the old-timers uh, are, are watching and listening tonight, they'll remember that name. Ed Doyaz lived in Saverna Park. Ed Doyaz was a drunk. Okay? On three separate occasions, Ed Doyaz was hit by a car on Ritchie Highway, staggering across Ritchie Highway after drinking at the old Gingerbread Man bar, which, is now a, which became a Bill Bateman's. A oh, Bill, I know where that. That's in Severna Park. It was in, yeah, in Severna Park. I know Park. exactly it was a where that is. Gingerbread man, okay. <laughs> so, so Ed Doyaz, in the closing days of this hard-fought congressional campaign, he writes a letter supporting another candidate. Well, this old political boss who was helping me get my candidate around Northern Anne Arundel County, places like Glen Burnie and mm -hmm. Ferndale, this guy named Million Dollar Bill McCaffrey old delegate, he was a machine politician from the old days, he called me and said, Foxwell, Ed Doyas has been hit by a car on three separate <laughs> occasions. It would be very, very easy, my friend, to arrange a fourth brush with tragedy. <laughs> I said, Ed, or Bill, we don't have to go that far, okay? It's just a letter to the Annapolis Capitol. I'm not happy about it, but I don't think, we, I don't think the man has to die for it. I'm just thinking about that when you talk about being hit by a car. For some reason, my mind turns to Ed Doyaz in the, that troubled winter of 1996. That was the blizzard of 96. It was. Remember that? I remember it vividly. We were trying to campaign through that blizzard. We were off school for a, like a week and a half. Oh, yeah. I remember the blizzard of 96. We were snowed in, and that's, that's right around the time when my parents, we used to live in the city of Hagerstown, directly across the street from the city park. And we moved in, I think it was at the end of 95, into the county in a little community that's called Halfway. It's unincorporated. Uh -huh. It's between Williamsport and Hagerstown. It's where I grew up with my grandparents. And so we, we found a home there. My parents did. And uh, in 1996, I would have been in sixth grade. Sixth grade, Lynn. Was that a good year for you? <laughs> I guess. I don't remember much about it. Were you playing in Little League at the time? Um, I, soccer. Soccer. Okay. I was playing soccer. Um, I wasn't very good, but I still, <laughs> my parents still came and rooted me on. 1996 was the year that, and I actually met my, my a good friend of mine who later became my brother-in-law, Sushant Sid. That's right. He's here this there. evening. 
he is a prime denizen of the second floor of Harry Brown's. He was working for the uh, for the Paul Muldowney campaign that year. Oh my God! He was running against Steve Crawford for the Democratic nomination for the right to battle Roscoe Bartlett. Paul, let me tell you something about Paul Muldowney, Hagerstown legend. Paul Muldowney. Paul okay. Muldowney. Let me tell you something, you son bitch. <laughs> yes, sir. I, let t- Paul Muldowney used to be a Democrat. He served a single term, I believe, in the the, the Maryland House of Delegates in the. 80s, maybe? I think it was 88 to 92. Right. And then after Paul Muldowney came along. along or 90 to 94, I'm sorry. Yeah. Is that, was that when it was? Yeah, that was his four-year term. Paul Muldowney hated Don Munson. Hated. Be- well, Don Munson. How can you hate Don Munson, man? Oh, trust me. You can hate Don Munson. Really? Yeah. But, you know, I, you know who I saw today, speaking of Don Munson, I saw... Former state senator Chris Shank, former executive official Chris Shank, yeah, no longer is living in Washington County any longer. Lives down in Anne Arundel County, now, probably right? making a buttload of money in the private sector. He lives like Edgewater or mm-hmm. somewhere like that, right? I, I, I think it's either Calvert. I think it's Calvert County. Oh, is he down that far? Okay. Don Munson, when he ran in 2010, ten years ago, Chris Shank primaried him, and that was the emergence of the Tea Party. Right. And Chris Shank was considerably more conservative than Don Munson was. Chris Shank was, I believe, the House, uh, the House Minority Whip or the Majority Minority Leader. I think one of those two positions. And Shank went out. He beat Munson by nearly twenty points. Yeah, I remember that race. It was incredible. Don Munson subsequently ran a writing campaign in the city of Hagerstown in District Two, in two in two thousand and ten lost the writing campaign and then in 2011 he went to work for John Donahue basically as an unpaying glorified intern that was it's been a wild ride Don Munson came I back I remember seeing the dean of Dual Highway the dean of Dual in, in 2011 on the on opening day the same exercise we went through here today John Donahue 2011 I saw Don Munson Fresh off of his defeat at the hands of Chris Jank. He wouldn't even talk to Chris. I don't think he still talks to Chris. It was probably the most pivotal loss of his career. But, but he, he, went, he went on to become a Hagerstown City Councilman. He right? went on to become a Hagerstown City Councilman. He was reelected in 2016. He got elected in 2012. And then he resigned due to health reasons. How's he doing now? I don't know. I think he's... I, I haven't heard too much about Don Munson. In fact... That reminds me, I should call up my old friend Ron Bowers and, and ask him how Don Munson is doing. Can I, can I put a plug in for a couple of people in Hagerstown? So if, you're, if, if my 13-year-old son, Darren, were here today and you were to ask him to this day, Darren, who's your favorite baseball team? He wouldn't say the Orioles. He wouldn't say the Nationals. He'd say the Hagerstown Suns. Wow. And every year, Darren... That's better than Hagerstown people. I'm serious. He would love to go out to Hagerstown. I'll never forget one day... We were out there for a three-game series with the Hagerstown Suns, and of course, mm-hmm. they are. Was that farm- Bryce Harper? Was he there? It was no. This was after Harper had already gone to the majors. This was 2014, okay. I believe it was. Yeah. And we were. It was a three-game set, and Bob Brucci, mayor, was the former mayor at that point. Mm-hmm. He had lost in 2012 to Dave Geisberts. David Geisberts, who's now a Rockville City resident. Don't make him any better. Dave Geisberts was working for the team. Or I'm sorry, um, 
uh, Bob Rucci was working for the team, and they had the promotion where you would like pick the winning raffle ticket, on, and you would stand on top of the dugout. <laughs> and Bob Rucci picked my son to stand up on oh. top of the dugout and pick the winning raffle ticket, and they gave him like a little cap and T-shirt. Nice. And then the Hagerstown Economic Development Director. Aaron Wolf Anderson. Aaron Wolf Anderson, who was a former NBC 25 WHAG TV reporter. A remarkable young woman. Absolutely. Came by and said, Darren, I hear you're a Hagerstown fan. And he said, I am. She presented him with a with a bat, an, an actual game used bat. That's great. Signed by every member of the Hagerstown Suns. That's cool. Never forgot it to this day. I've had some great Hagerstown Suns experiences. Len, who's the most famous person who ever visited the Hagerstown Sun Stadium? Willie Mays. Uh, I mean, it could be, but... He played He played there at Municipal Stadium. It, but I was thinking more political. So there's a plaque dedicated to George H.W. Bush who visited the Hagerstown oh, Sun right. Stadium. Oh, that's right. He did, didn't he? 1988. Yes, that's right. Yeah, 1988. When, when, when the Hagerstown Suns were still an Orioles affiliate. Now, something interesting about the, the Suns and the location, right across the street from the Hagerstown Suns is the old former, it's called the Melt Plant, the Municipal Electric Light Plant. My grandfather, after he got out of World War II, he went to work over at the, the Melt Plant as an engineer, and he worked there until 1985, so 30 years. Uh, and then in 1985, guess who came along? Me. He retired, and then... The rest is history, and he's still with us today at 94. How about that? Is he in good health? He's in great health. That's really cool. I just saw him now, on he, Sunday. Now, now, would he have the acuity and the interest to watch a show like this this evening? <laughs> probably not. He's he's probably at home right now watching a Western. Same as my dad, 88 years old. And my granddad, is uh, he's he's doing well. You know, every once in a while he has some, some health problems, but for the most part at uh, our family is very lucky to have him and my grandmother, who's 87. So we're, you know, Lynn, it's, it's all about family. And we. I thought when you were going to ask who is the most famous person to visit Hagerstown Municipal Stadium, I thought the answer was Jake Burdett. Jake Burdett. On his way out to the Western Maryland Democratic Summit in 2017. <laughs> Jake, they had one of those 11:05 games on a Friday, you know, where all the school kids come out. Jake Burdett, who sadly was recently removed from the Wicomico County Democratic Central Committee for uh, for things that I'm not I'm not even sure if I understand everything about why he was removed, but he was our friend Jake Burdett. A who, searing affront to democracy, and it's an affrontery to democracy. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> save Jake. <laughs> yeah, save Jake. Jake Burdett is effectively, he is the the duck of Mad Men. Of, uh, duck Phillips. Duck Phillips. Who, <laughs> who was with Peggy on the day of JFK's assassination. And they were in bed together. Yes. And he turned off the TV set because he didn't want to be distracted by the news. Uh and then he turned it on after they were, they were done. Amazing. And that's when he found out that. I just want to point out who's sitting over or standing up right now. An Eastern Shore legend, a legend, who was along, was a former representative. She was my delegate. Your delegate, of St. Michael's, where I got married, where the best memories of my life happened. 
It's secretary of the Department of Natural Resources. The incomparable Jeannie Hattie, Jeannie Jeannie Hattaway Hatt- Riccio. Yes. Yep. She's standing right She's over amazing. there. And, She's leaving now. And, yeah. and also, not to be overlooked. Not to be overlooked. None other than the Duke of Delmar himself, the incomparable Bunky Luffman. Imitable Bunky Luffman. Fresh from a trip to the Big Apple. These guys are Annapolis legends. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, one thing that Governor, Governor Hogan has done so much right, he has harvested and brought in some of the best talent from the eastern shore to his administration. Standing before me 20 minutes prior to your arrival was, I guess, acting or soon-to-be confirmed Secretary Tiffany Robinson. She's terrific. Who is changing the face of a department that was left in especially good shape by the telegenic and brilliant... The telegenic and brilliant... Kelly Schultz, who's now our Secretary of Commerce. You are just doing that to poke the proverbial bear that is Owen Silverman Andrews. Owen Silverman Andrews, the uh, a few days after Christmas. Tweet- why are you doing this? Why are you Why are you stirring the coals of dissent? Well, I'm sure that on this cold <laughs> evening in January eighth of 2020, the year of our Lord, Owen Silverman Andrews is plotting his next. His next political regime change in Baltimore City as the chairman of the Green Dems. And he is thinking, what can I do to counter the piece that is was a minor details, 2019 most read piece today? I tell you what Owen Silverman Andrews is doing right now. He is getting ready to help Andy Ellis, I guarantee it, who today on social media announced that he is putting in for the appointment. Yes. To replace the disgraced Cheryl Glenn to the District 45 seat to the Maryland House of Delegates. Cheryl Glenn, who sad, unfortunately, sadly, or whatever you want to call it, humiliatingly resigned in disgrace. It's, it's a sad story all around. It is a sad story, and I asked Mark Corman about it when I interviewed him on Sunday night about back to session. And Mark, of course, is a diplomat, and he expressed some just severe sadness over this. And it is a, it's a sad situation, but today was a happy. I think it was a. Uh, it, it's a, it's a bittersweet moment. But Len, let me before we jump into the session stuff. And look, we got we got plenty of time to talk about that. We <laughs> everywhere I went today, all over the Annapolis at the various receptions held by some of Annapolis' best and brightest lobbying shops, and just below us a few hours ago. Um, who was it? Rifkin Weiner and mm-hmm. um, I. We just call it the Rifkin firm. The Rifkin firm, they, whose client list is 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 thicker than my uh, my house. Uh, it, it's a, it is a storied Annapolis firm with a gilded client list. Uh, if you saw the, you know who their client list is. I do, and it's um, it's it's kind of like it's the. It's the Hollywood A-list of of Annapolis. They are the Yankees of the Annapolis lobbying corps. No, no doubt. And so, wherever where I went today, people said to me, and they would pull me aside and they say, "Minor, you're on to something with this minor detail. You were the first person to break the news on Francho declaring that he was going to run for governor." Len, where were we on Monday night? Denison's Brewing in downtown Silver Spring, did East I, West Highway. Did I jump the shark? Did I jump the gun a bit? What do you mean? Well, I, I, I didn't. I was standing in the back, and in fact, I was standing next to you, and the truly brilliant, amazing 
Julie Verratti, who is the co-owner of Denison's Brewery in Silver Spring. Good, a, a decent, honorable person who ran for lieutenant governor. And Peter Francho, your boss, he made a comment, a very declarative statement, and said, I've had, a ba- base, I'm just paraphrasing that, he had his 16 years as comptroller, nothing else more he can do, and he's going to run for governor. In he 20- said it. He said it, and I hope I didn't put you guys on the spot or you weren't prepared for it, but I, I thought it was an important moment. P- Peter said what everyone has been suspecting for some time. He's running for governor. He's going to run. He's going to win. And he is going to usher in a new era of meaningful, lasting fiscal, economic, and political reform in the state of Maryland. I can't wait. When Peter uttered those words and after the tweet, not only did it go viral. The place exploded. And I bet the next, I bet that night and probably by the time you reached your office in Annapolis the subsequent day on Tuesday, you probably had a hundred different text messages. Um, when when I got by the by the time I got home, I you know because I live in Easton. Yes. So I afterward I, I had a, I had a quick bite to eat yeah. at Denison's because you know you can't eat at these things. You're you're too busy glad handing. <laughs> so I, I sat down and had a burger. I got got behind the wheel of the car. I drove back from Silver Spring to Easton. By the time I got back, I counted. I had two hundred and sixty eight. Two hundred and sixty eight texts and emails and Facebook messages of people saying I want to help I want to help, it's time so no you didn't jump any shark you didn't do anything wrong you you, you did what a journalist does you reported what the man said and what he said is I'm running for governor well the Washington Post uh, Aaron Cox, she said blogger and I gave her the eye roll (laughs) I was Right. I, I was halfway serious, but I was also halfway joking. But I like to think of myself more than just a blogger, Lynn. We talk about this, Ryan, and, 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 I, and I don't think I can say it enough. I'm going to give it one more shot. And I actually talk about you in my class that I teach at Johns Hopkins University. You are the, you are the next generation of journalism. You are, we talk about hybrids, mm-hmm. and whether it's yeah, in the auto industry or whatever. You are the next generation hybrid. You you are a dirt-under-the-fingernails journalist, but you're also someone with thoughts and ideas and opinions of your own, but you know how to compartmentalize. You know what you believe, and you're not shy about expressing your thoughts and beliefs, but you also know how to set those aside when it's time to do hard, objective journalism. And it's no secret, we have a great relationship. Yes. You and Peter have a great relationship. But I will tell you, because I've been on the other end of these calls, when I get a call from Ryan Miner of a minor detail, I'll get a chill on my back because oh, I know that you're a tough journalist who will ask me some very tough questions. <laughs> yes. And I better have my act together or else we could end us, we could be on the on the whip aerial side of a really bad news cycle. So well. anyone who does anyone who tries to dismiss you by calling you something other than a journalist it, is wrong and they're missing the whole point. Well it it it's not up for me to to tell them how to think, but um How's everything in the pit of the state house? Ooh, I walked in there first thing this morning. I think I, there was one other person sitting there. It was about 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Prior to me walking down just uh, a few houses over to the 47 uh, state circle to, to meet with the county executive, PG County. And I walked in. I left my my uh, suitcase of podcast gear and uh, a couple other things in the uh 
and the cubby spaces are, if, if you're seeing this, they're only about that small. And I, I walked down in the afternoon, probably around 2, two o'clock, maybe one thirty, two o'clock, and it was somewhat more packed. But look, it's, it's not an environment where I will be um, greeted with, you know, a handshake. People are very, look, and to, to their credit, they're very serious. You go in, it is a place where work gets done. And they are buckling down. They have deadlines. Right. And people are not interested in chatty conversations. And really, I'm not either. And But Brian Sears, our friend Brian Sears, he was uh, he did show up to work today. Um, I saw him all, all about Annapolis. And uh, he was uh, very busy. And his um, He's a hardworking guy. He's an accomplished journalist. One of the hardest working guys in, in 20, Annapolis. In 2020, and you and I have talked about this. And it might be right here. In this, the epicenter of the Annapolis machine, the second floor of Ferry Browns. We're going to get you and Brian together for a beer. And whatever this thing is that happened last year, we've got to get it behind us. I agree. People have asked me about it. They said, have you put it behind it's you? It's becoming a thing. It has been a thing. And maybe I exacerbated it just a bit with writing about no, it. No, no, you weren't wrong. Um, you have a right to feel hurt, but you know no. what? Um, I just, the only, the only feeling, the feelings of hurt that I had was... We had a relationship prior to that, a good one, and Brian expressed his opinion. But if he had a problem with the way that I was presenting myself or if I, in his opinion, violated journalistic responsibilities, then come to me and talk to me. Like, Lynn, if you and I ever had an issue, you—and we've disagreed on a couple of things. Of course. it's always between us. It's private, and it's something that's never talked. You pick up the phone, and you say, here's what I think, and— you might want to consider this point and you never press or prod or push and you're not insult. And, and to me, he, he insulted me. And it's like, well, I think the large point that we all need to be mindful of is that there is room for everybody within this journalistic ecosystem. I, so. I mean, Brian is an old school journalist who was kind of taught in the old school traditionalist manner. Yes. You are a new school, more of a hybrid of, of, of objective and opinion driven content. You know what? There's room for everybody. I believe that, and I hope there's 10 more people who come out and do podcast and independent reporting and start this thing because the more reporting, the better. The more light that is shed upon local government, municipal, statewide, the better. And I'll stop doing it when it's no longer fun. Len, I want to mention something that has been stuck in my crawl for almost a week now, and I am... I was discouraged to read a letter to the the Capitol from a member, I believe it was the chairman of the Anne Arundel County Library Board. Do I have that right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. And the person, and I, for the life of me, and I apologize, I cannot remember his name. He wrote a a striking letter, a a hard-hitting letter, one that was not necessarily happy with a decision made by uh, the late speaker's core team. And the whole, the, the whole issue is that they had exerted political pressure to name a library after the late speaker. A completely worthy process, right? There's, he, he absolutely deserved that, undoubtedly. That's not in dispute. It's the way in which it was done where they said that it was more of a a political exercise of intimidation, maybe 
if you don't do this, then we're going to put legislation through. And that, to me, it bothered me. And, and I don't know why it bothered me so much, but I think it bothered me because I'm thinking about you know, the place where I grew up in Western Maryland, a, a place that is where, where people may not necessarily do politics, that, 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 don't, that aren't totally involved in the process like you and I are. Right. And it, what, if, what if somebody like a, a good, hardworking, middle-class person from Hagerstown, they were bullied or pressured, and, and they look at politics like that from the outside and they say, is that really how the system is? Because if that's the way it is, it's no wonder that there's this populist mentality, this fervor that these people are career politicians, that they have more power, that they get away with things. And it, it, I don't know why it just inherently bothered me so much. And I put out a post and I said, you know, it's no wonder we call them the Anathis machine. And I don't know if it was Alex Hughes. I don't know if it was what Jeremy Baker. But whoever the hell it was that called up this library board, I thought it was disgusting that they would exert this political power. And these people sometimes walk around here, these staffers, like, that they walk around, like, they, like they, they practically own these legislators. They, they've never been elected. They never put their name on a ballot. Sure, they have power. They have education. They have, they have institutional knowledge that many of us don't have, especially myself. But I got to tell you, Lynn, it bothered me. And I want to say to this, to them, if the speaker is listening, shame on your staff. Shame on your staff, and it's not, the, it's not the speaker's fault. But I will say that if these are the people representing you, then you better fire, then you figure out a better staff because these are not the people who should be representing your staff. And, and your district, I mean, it just pisses me off. You know, when I came to Annapolis, again, a long time ago, there was a we had an assistant secretary of state. He was a career firefighter named Billy Goddard. He later became he later worked for Howard County. He's had a number of jobs, and he was giving me like my first day orientation. And one of the things he told me, I never forgot it, is, "Don't ever forget, it's not you who has the power. It's the position you hold, and it's the person that you're working for." And it can go away just like that. Right. You know, and, I'm, and I never forgot that. And, it, and, and then I was reminded of that in a very painful way in 2002 when I worked for Kathleen Kennedy Townsend. After eight years working in the administration of Paris Glendening, I was a press secretary for the presumptive, you know, someone who is presumed to be the next governor of Maryland, a scion of the Kennedy family dynasty. My phone was ringing off the hook. And then that one day in November of 2002, she lost, and then the next day, I actually thought my phone was broken because literally no calls were coming in. And it was just another reminder. It's not you. It's the position. It's the person you're working for, and it can go away in the blink of an eye. It's just a, it's a reminder well for all of us. You know? Well said. Um, and then I also say that the same people you see on your way up, you'll probably see on the way down. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And look, I I have a problem with anybody who exerts these political pressure moves that uses the power of the office, whereas it could have taken a, a simple phone call and say, this is so important to us, we would sincerely appreciate it if you would be willing to name this library after the late speaker, which is an, a noble and a courageous thing to do. 
But you're talking about shaking down a library. Shaking down a library. And that is why we talk about the Annapolis machine. And people can disagree, whatever. You know, I, I saw Alex Hughes today, and if her looks could kill, I would have been dead. Oh, really? It, we, we have, a, we have a, a tough relationship. Yeah. That's okay. It's fine. One of these days we'll maybe... It's too bad. She's very talented. She's, she's an exceptionally talented person who has an incredible depth of knowledge and experience, and she, was, she served the late speaker well. I, I believe that she served him incredibly well, and she did the job that she was expected to do. However, I think that she rose very quickly... Rightfully so, and she she deserved the position because she's very smart. However, I think that at times she has abused that power, that that position, and I am um, I I don't have tolerance for that. I well, I would I would hope since you and I have a good relationship, separate and distinct from our relationship as a journalist and as a subject, I would hope that if you ever feel like I'm behaving in a way that's not serving my boss particularly well. I hope you would pull me aside and give me the courtesy of a candid assessment. I would. I would. And, I mean, with, yeah, of course. We're friends. And I, I, I definitely would would tell you. And, but, you know, with that, I think we're on to happier times. Today was a huge day. Today, Lynn, it was, it's, today's historic. It is. It's, it's a historic day. We, we elected, I, I sat in the chamber and I just kind of watched in awe. I was taking notes of the transition of power. Melanie Griffith elected Speaker Pro Tim. Yeah. And then Senate President Emeritus Miller got up on the floor and made probably one of the most heartfelt speeches. It, was, it reminded me of the John McCain going away speech on the Senate floor. And he made this just truly impactful courageous honest transparent um, emotional speech where he was handing off the baton to the 36 year old William Ferguson of Baltimore City whose wife and two children were seated in the Senate gallery in the front of the room his grandparents his parents were there this was a wonderful day for the state of Maryland yeah I agree it was a wonderful day and today, for the first time in history, an African-American female has presided over the Maryland House of Delegates. As, as the Speaker of the House. As the Speaker of the House. Yeah. I, I just don't know how, in, in one single year, if we sat here last year, at this very same time, never would I have guessed that this would have happened. This... this occurrence of events so can, I, I mean well I, you know I think back I was compare all day I was my mind's eye was going back to last year's opening day because we tend to always we always tend to think in year-long blocks and I was thinking about the mood I, I just I, I have to stop you legends have been in this room Who? but now the presence of legends are here oh my, oh, my goodness my. look at this oh my god can you imagine? Sergio Hernandez, Joan Blocker, Sharon Bernardi. Oh my God! Can you believe it? This Va- is. Oh my God! Look at this. This is Vaughn Stewart, who just endorsed, endorsed Bernie Sanders. Who just endorsed? Who's David? David Moon. Delegate David Moon, 
has arrived. Who I honestly think is going to be a pr- the president of the United States someday. Yes. Is, I honestly believe that. You know, the good thing about David Moon being the president is he doesn't have to worry about his car getting stolen. So... What the hell does that have to do with anything? Well, I mean, you're you're not going to steal the president's car. Well, that's okay. So. That's true. Right. Delegate Moon, Delegate Stewart, we salute you. These guys. Let me tell you about Delegate Stewart. I'd like to think I'm a baseball fanatic. He is. This guy makes me look like a piker. He makes me look like a casual opening day fan. He's a great lawyer, too. He's a great lawyer, and he is a sabermetrician of the highest order. I, I interviewed Delegate Stewart last year. You went to New York Law, right? NYU, yes. So Dele- this is we're talking about the elite of the pr- progressive caucus in the state of Maryland, right here. I would agree with that. Delegate Stewart of District 19. I think we're talking about the elite of the elected leadership in the state of Maryland. These guys. I think their appeal transcends philosophical boundaries. And if Barry O'Connell is watching, Vaughn <laughs> Stewart said, "Give Barry my best." But I want to talk about, I mean, there, amidst all this, this era of good feeling, okay, and there's so much positivity and friendship in the air, one person has stood up and said they will not be supporting Peter Francho for governor in 2022. One person. Could you imagine who that one person would be? That was Colin J. Colin J. Foster. Colin J. Foster. St. Mary's County. Who is the bell of the St. Mary's political... The Lion of Lexington Park. The Lion of Lexington Park. The, um, the crucible of the, the, the southern... The titan por- of the Thomas Johnson Bridge. Let me just say that Colin J... Colin J. Foster. Colin J. Foster, who declared on Twitter that... Literally he- no one asked and literally no one cares. <laughs> Colin Foster has now decisively said that he will not in any matter or form ever back Peter Francho. He didn't say who he's for. Oh, no, no. Not only did he say that he will not back him, he will not. Can I just... Let me just tell you this. who just walked in. It's, this is incredible. Can you believe who just walked into The Harry star Brown? power is blinding here. This is, this is Cumberland's courageous crusader this is should we bring her in here oh this is the the western no, maryland she can't she's not allowed the machine has shut her down the, the machine the, the machine has gotten to her no. we're, we're talking about yes riley riley shoebridge you riley probably- shoebridge who just was yesterday announced that she is now working for the chairman of the Judicial Proceedings right. Committee, Will Smith. Fort Hill High School, right? Fort Hill. Hill of Cumberland. She's a real Western Maryland. I, I lived at the base of Western Maryland, but she lives but in. Riley. She is a product of Mountain Maryland. Yes. Yeah. It's a. So, but congratulations. Remarkably smart. Seriously, she's in a, this business for all the right reasons. I walked into Alexander and Cleaver, her former employer, today, and I said, "She's not here." Well, she. I said she's not here anymore, and no. But I saw. <laughs> she's giving me a look. I, all right. <laughs> Why is Manny always giggling? Manny. Manny, have you gotten Peter Francho verified yet on Twitter? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Peter Peter Francho is still ver- not unverified. Riley, thanks for everything you do. Yes. Yes. 
She is a. She is becoming. She is absolutely amazing. She's a star. And where did she go to school? Fort Hill. No. And where did she go to college? Salisbury. Salisbury University. Manny's. Manny is always giggly. I thought, why is he? What, what, I don't so, know. What is so damn funny? I told him. I said, look, you got to get your boss verified on Twitter. Maya Rockamore Cummings got verified recently. Maya Rocky Moore Cummings drained the Democratic Party. I wanted to tell you that I, you know, my my dad one time, my, uh, just my father one is time. Your dad a Democrat? What's that? Is your dad a Democrat? Oh no, no, is he Republican? Yeah, he's he's pretty conservative. So is my now, dad. Now he's my mom's a, a my mom's a Democrat. It's a it's a divided household. She's oh. a JFK Democrat from the old days. My dad, other than Peter Francho, would. Did Never. he put a sign in his yard? Absolutely. Okay. Every time for Peter Francho, you bet. Yeah. But one time, I when I was when I was in college, I said I was going to be I was going to be leaving the house. I'm, 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 it was during summer. We during summer break. I was staying at the house. We had some sort of a, an argument. I said, "That's it. I'm leaving. I'm done." He said, "Boy, now I grew up in Cambridge. Okay." Yeah. He said, boy, if gas were selling down at the Shell Station for 25 cents a gallon, you wouldn't have enough money to get to Church Creek and back. Church Creek. So why don't you sit down? Yeah. That's kind of the situation that the Maryland Democratic Party is in, thanks to the mismanagement of Maya Rocky Moore Cummings. Thank God Corey McRae, the vice chairman of the party, a true public servant, stepped in, figured out what was happening, stepped in to stabilize the ship, and now we actually have some strong experience leadership of the party and Yvette Lewis. Corey Lewis, yeah, Yvette Lewis, I think will, I've heard nothing but positive. She's a great person. She really is, Don't Ryan. know her personally. However, I have heard positive remarks. Get her on the details. Seriously. I will. And I also want to get their executive director, Ben Smith, on here. A good guy. I don't know him well, but uh, Ben and I have, uh, we've we've tangoed a little bit on Twitter. Uh, he, In a friendly way, or do you guys end well, up on the Well, he, he told me, basic, he basically said that if, um, I do something that Peter Francho or Larry Hogan likes that they just pat me on the head like a little dog. And that is, no, and I, I, don't I, think I love Ben Smith. That's he's, he's missing the mark. But on that you know one. what, Ben? People are free to have their own opinions, and that is what it is. But to to Maya, Rocky Moore Cummings, and I, I'm I'm terribly saddened by the loss of her husband Elijah Cummings, who was a great man and um, someone that I had a lot of respect for and, and, and still will for, of course. And I, my heart goes out to her and, uh, to the, the Cummings family. And, but, but her, but, but, but Elijah's kids are actually not supporting her bid to no, replace him as the Congresswoman from the seventh district. No, they've endorsed his, his staffer, Harry Styles, has and Harry Styles, Harry Stikes or Spikes, Stikes. Uh, he, I don't know. He's on Morning Joe. Yeah, whatever. It is. Yeah. Uh, people presume. Harry Styles is from One Direction. That's right. People presume that Maya Rockymore Cummings will win the seventh congressional district primary on name recognition. I don't believe alone. that's true, Ryan. I I think that I and I you know who I saw today in the Senate chamber? Jill Carter. Jill P. Carter, who is is ascending and is going up and up and up, and the buzz today. On Annapolis State Circle. <laughs> oh my God! Did you see he just walked in? <laughs> we can't. We we can't say. I can't say. The Cardinal Richelieu himself behind <laughs> Chairman Smith's throne, Luke what? Pinton. He just gave it away. 
He just gave it away. And Manny's giggling again. I don't know why. Man, he's always laughing. Manny's the best, let me but, tell you. What were, what were we talking about? Let's finish this point on Joe Carter. This is important. The buzz today around State Circle at the various lobbying shops at the parties in between the copious amount of finger foods and appetizers and wine and beer and alcohol consumed is that Jill P. Carter has a real shot at winning this thing. Yeah. And the, the, the second most mentioned name is the former Congressman uh, Mafume. You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I was going around town today just, you know, the legislative session is obviously the, the reason we're all here and to celebrate the start of a new legislative year. But obviously we're in a political season. We're electing not only a new president, hope to God, but also um, we're electing a new congressman and we're going to the poll. people of Baltimore are going to the polls to elect their next mayor. And I, I was asking, I was asking people, what are you hearing in the seventh district? You know, and it's funny. I was expecting because this is this is a repository of conventional wisdom around town, and I was expecting people just to make the convention, the safe conventional wisdom assessment that, well, it's probably going to be Kwasi and Fume or, or Maya Rocky Moore Cummings, and you heard of some of that, but the name that kept emerging was Jill Carter. Yep. Because she has a ground game, she has energy, and it's going to be a low turnout election there in that special election the first week of February. Her ground troops are ready. They are fired up. Run her ground game run by the indefatigable Richard Duchesne Elliott. My goodness. Who is, who has... That is a revolutionary who has found his revolution. Who has come on the Maryland political scene like a flash and who now... Is could likely be dubbed one of the top three progressive activists in the state. Having leapfrogged Colin J. Foster. Colin J. Foster, who tonight is searching the Maryland State Board of Elections website for the next gubernatorial candidate in the Democratic Party. And there, there could be many. Len, there could be Johnny Osheski. There could be Angela also Brooks, who just today was asked by a Washington Post reporter, now that Peter Francho is running for governor, are you considering running for governor? And her answer slightly changed from this summer to a hard no to, we're very busy right now, but we're going to take a look at it later. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's kind of where she should be. I mean, it, it, there's, no, there's no harm in exploring the race if you're... If you're County Executive Olszewski or your County Executive also Brooks or Stuart Pittman or any, why not take a look at it? I mean, it's a big decision to make, but there's no considering the race, taking a look doesn't cost a dime. Doesn't, and and they have you some. Know, it's early in the process. She County Executive also Brooks has also surrounded herself with some pretty competent allies. Who is she walking around with today? Well, I, well. When I went to the press briefing this morning, she was, you know, Molly Byron? Oh, sure. Brilliant. Is Molly on her team now? Yes. Good. And that's smart. Molly, who is a, a former longtime O'Malley staffer. Yeah. Molly's and, good. And perhaps the babysitter to William O'Malley, whose Twitter account has uh, caused havoc and whose, op- whose opinion on virtually everything is second to none. I don't think I've met William young William. Manley. No, I was in the the Board of Public Works t- 
today, the meeting, and I stood there for two hours. And I looked around the room, Lynn, and, you know, guess whose portrait wasn't in the governor's reception room? Where yeah, it's they Martin hold. O'Malley. I wonder why that, you know, who Michael Dresser sent me a tweet and said pretty that Martin O'Malley was habitually late for everything. That he was always late for, for, for everything. But um, I, I wonder, why is Martin O'Malley unwilling to have his portrait taken or painted? It's, it's, it's like a canvas-type painting, right? Mm-hmm. And the last governor in there was Bob Ehrlich. And you know, yeah. then I think on one side is what J. Miller tells. And then on the other side, I think, is, is it Spiro Agnew? It's Spiro Agnew, Spiro yeah. Agnew, who was arguably the most corrupt governor in the history of Maryland. I love looking at those portraits, and I love going back into the annals of history and looking at previous governors who have served. And I think that every one of those portraits, in their own way, reflect the not only the spirit of the age in which they served, but also the, the tastes and the personal preferences of the, of the men who served, because there have been no women governors. Uh, you know, and you see the progression over time from the very flat, from the the very flat, camp, you know, unidimensional style of Spiro to Ag, Spiro Agnew, to the Harry Hughes style, in which he is posing elegantly on a fireplace with a mirror behind, and it's a very stylish modern portrait, and that reflected the Harry Hughes aesthetic. Paris Glendening is in a very natural environmental setting, it dressed casually. Has a no tie on. No tie. Yeah, I think he's standing behind a, a body of water, maybe the bay. A non-tidal wetland and a, and a tributary of the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, so you see the you see the evolution in artistic styles, and you also get a glimpse into the personalities of the people who served. Uh oh. <laughs> what? Another. <laughs> no. Who was that? I, 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 I don't know. Oh. I don't know. Who was that? But look at this. I mean, look at the collection of talent. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of a, of a statement from Thomas Je- um, from JFK when he, was, when he was speaking to the National Council of Physicists in 1962. He looked out at the crowd. He said, this is the greatest and most formidable collection of intellectual talent that has ever assembled in one room since Thomas Jefferson dined alone. Wow. That's the way I feel right now, looking at Luke Pinton, Riley Shoebridge, and Emmanuel Welsh. Yes. Luke, are you originally from Maryland? Is he, is he a Marylander? Are you a Marylander, Luke? Harford County. We got Harford County, Allegheny County, and, and the, <laughs> the Philippines. It, what's <laughs> interesting about Harford County is you, you wouldn't... We love Manny. You, but you wouldn't, think of, you wouldn't think of Harford County as a... As a as a mecca for yes. crab cakes, you would think of the Eastern Shore, right? That's right. But there are two places in Hartford County, in particular, that serve the best crab cakes anywhere in the state of Maryland. And yes. I'm an Eastern Shore crab cake snob. One is Box Hill Pizzeria, and the other is Sean Boland's Tavern, right on Main Street in downtown Bel Air. I have not been to either of those two places. We should actually do a show sometime for Sean Boland's. Let's do it. Speaking of Harford County, today I saw County Executive Barry Glassman, who has the world's best tan, and who is could also consider. You know who else has a great tan? Who? Colin J. Foster. Colin J. Foster has a great tan. He's somebody who recently he re, he, he recently in the Cayman Islands. He acquiesced 
to the the Maryland Democratic power machine that is Steny Hoyer, whose candidate Brianna Ur- Urbina has now reluctantly withdrawn from the Democratic primary in the 5th District. Is she really? She has withdrawn, and now there is but one progressive candidate. It's to Michaela take. Wilkes, right? Michaela Wilkes. Is, isn't she being guided by Rich Elliott? I, I don't know that. You may have the inside story. But Brianna Urbina is no longer a candidate, and now she may have sold out to the Democratic power establishment that is Steny Hoyer and team. And how can Colin J. Foster ever come to work for Peter Francho now? Well, I think think he's made it abundantly clear uh, that he's not. Oh, I forgot. He's not. Yes. What were we talking about? Oh, Luke Pinton being from Harford County. Yes. Um, And County Executive Barry Glassman, who was the former president of MACO. That's right. He is also, I hear, considering a bid for governor. I tell you, Barry Glassman is a guy who who has no shortage of options. Yeah, he could run for governor. He could run for... Comptroller, I could even see really? him running for the first congressional district. He and he, I believe that once Andy Harris, you know, he, he finishes, he, he kind of runs his course. Barry Glassman has a style and a way about him that is a nice fit for the temperament of the first congressional district, and he comes from a part of the district where there's a mother load of votes sitting there on the table for him. Let me tell you another potential first congressional district candidate in the opposing party, and that's Salisbury Mayor Jake Day. I think he would be a phenomenal. The problem with the problem with any credible Democrat is that that district, because of because of the way in which the the congressional maps were so terribly gerrymandered by Martin O'Malley and Mike Miller and God rest his soul, Mike Bush in twenty in twenty eleven, no Democrat is ever going to win that seat unless they redistrict it. What they they're going to have to redistrict it. And I mean, we had in this past election cycle, we had a guy named Jesse Colvin who had essentially the same political profile as Jake Day. He was, a, he was a U.S. Army veteran. He's a young guy with a young family, a good centrist message. That was a right philosophical fit for the district. To, he in, did in everything the, right. In the same mold as Pittsburgh Congressman... Um, Connor Lamb. Connor Lamb. Right in, that, right in that same paradigm. And he got blown out, 6139. Because there's just no oxygen for a potential Democratic candidate. And so it's so you have an entire region of the state, one that encompasses no fewer than 13 jurisdictions in our state who feel completely disenfranchised because of the, the, you know, the political disenfranchisement that occurred across the street here in 2012 by the Annapolis machine. I wish people, every time I look out this window, every time I sit at this table, and this is the designated table for a minor detail podcast, yeah. they stick us here in the corner. But, Len, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm just in awe. I'm looking, we're at the state capitol dome. It's just, I, there's nothing else like it. Nothing. You know, I worked up there back in 1997 and 1998. I was uh, Governor Glendening's deputy press secretary, and I remember pulling, I remember driving down Rao Boulevard and Bladen Street in the mm. morning and coming to my parking space and I used to think, you know, the day that I stop becoming impressed and awed every time I come to work in the morning Can't do it. is the day it's, pro- it's time for me to leave and do something else for a living. Uh, every time, I mean, seriously, I, I walk by this and I marvel at this edifice, this structure, yeah. what it means historically. The same building that 
President George Washington resigned his commission. Yeah. And then went on to become arguably the greatest American president in our republic. And think of the historic events that have occurred in that building. Uh, the laws that have been made, the protections that have been granted to to, to, to minorities, to generations to, of people, the to underserved, to uh, yeah, and the creation of the modern education system, the modern, the creation of the the modern highway system, the creation of the civil bureaucracy. I it's mean, unbelievable. It's, yeah, it's 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 the it, oldest functioning state house still in existence today in the United States. Isn't that something? I've right been here to, in the state of Maryland. I've been to a number of state houses, but certainly no, no more than State Senator Brian Feldman, who I believe has a record of attending, of visiting almost every single state house in the country. Did you Is know that? that? It's a hobby of his. That's a pretty cool hobby, actually. Yeah, and I I follow him on on that, and he that's that's a big hobby. I've been to, let's see, I've been to Maine State House, Lynn. I've been to New Hampshire's. I've been to Massachusetts. I mean, you got to see Beacon Hill. I've been. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever been to New York State House. I've been to Albany. No, yeah. I haven't been to Albany. Um, and I haven't been to Hartford. If, hey, by the way, if you're ever going to go, you know, make a sojourn to Albany, yeah, you may want to do it in the summer. Albany in January. Is, oh, it's you, bitter. You think a night like this is pretty brisk? Yeah. This is October in Albany. Yeah. Remember last year when we were over at uh, the uh, the Chesapeake Brewing, and we had those stand-up speakers. We had a couple audience people. Oh yeah, where? Just think about where how far we've come. Well, how about the night we were at Wet City? Yes, and we, we and, were, and, and then no one could hear us half the time. <laughs> and I was going, and, and by the time by the time the they called the election for Mary Washington, I was completely drunk. Uh. And just beside myself. You stayed there in, the, in in Baltimore that night. I did. Yeah, yeah, that was quite a night. Yeah, uh, it, yeah, I remember that pretty clearly. I didn't get out of there probably until midnight or after, and I came home and my wife was fast asleep. <laughs> what a what a night! What a night! And, and look at you now, man. Oh. You you are a media empire. Look at this state of the art equipment and. You've just found your stride, and those of us who are proud of you and love you and support you, oh, thank we couldn't you, be any—we just couldn't be any happier for thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's fun, and like I said, we we do this because it's fun, and I hope people—I think people get a kick out of it. They like it, and they they enjoy it, and we we uh, we have fun doing it. We um, I was thinking today that I I didn't go on the house side, the Senate side. Full of emotion, full of a, I, I think it was a, a reluctance in a way. It was kind of a somber but happy day for the passing of the guard. And I want to say that Senate President Emeritus Miller, he he looked healthy and happy. And I think that it almost seemed like he was relieved that he could, he could pa- at the pinnacle of his career, he can pass the baton over to somebody of a different generation. And... I have a lot of faith and confidence that Bill Ferguson will be someone that will carry the torch well. And he certainly has a command of the Senate already. He knows the rules. He's clearly an articulate and, and, and smart person. So we'll see what happens. Let me tell you, and I said this on Facebook a week ago or so. There was a story that came out in the Washington Post. It was written by the estimable Erin Cox. Yes. Very, very good at what she does. Who wrote a feature plot preview of... 
Comptroller Franchot's potential gubernatorial campaign over the summer, right around the time that we went to Mako. That's exactly right. Yes. And you and I were together at the Capital Strategies Party, and we ran into Melanie Miller. Melanie Miller. And exchanged pleasantries. We exchanged pleasantries, and Melanie Miller could not have been more pleasant today. Good for her. Yes. Good for her. Good for the whole family. Yep. But you know, she, the, 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 the Post feature on Senate President Ferguson described him as this this retiring, mild-mannered policy wonk. And to be sure, he is a very courteous, respectful person, and he is a policy wonk. But let me just assure your viewers and listeners, the guy can go to political war when he has to. And you know, I think those of you who, those who follow your show tend to be Annapolis insiders, and they know the background of that the relationship between the comptroller and his team and Bill hasn't always been that great. <laughs> and there have been times when we've had our differences. And let me tell you, the man knows how to play the game. And when he wants something, he is absolutely relentless, and he is savvy, and he is strategic. So don't let anyone th- don't don't leave your listeners with the impression that this is some tweety academic. You have a guy who is a a formidable blend of of policy and bare-knuckle politics. But he's going to do it in a transparent and accountable way. Yes. It's not going to be in the back rooms like the way business was conducted in generations past. You know who I saw today who we've obviously had differences, but nonetheless shook my hand in the hallway? Who? Jake Weissman. Cool. It was a nice moment. I like Jake a lot. And I said, good morning, sir. How are you? How are things? It was a nice moment. And Jake, I think Jake's going to do a good job with Bill. I, I think they're going to really get along well and be a good team. Well, Jake's a policy wonk, too. Yes, he is. And he's a progressive. He is. And I have, I, I have a lot of confidence in Jake. I, I do. And, I agree. And I think that uh, Jake knows how to go to war, too. This go, this, he does. And, and he, Jake has his own set of ideas and opinions and... I and that of course he does. So, but I still think that. But it's never been all about Jake. He's never made it about him. No, and it's not necessarily personal either. He's protected his boss. Yeah, and that's what a good staffer does. No, so, I have. You know what? The ledger's always been clean between me and Jake. He, he, Jake, he's you know Franco's never going to be his cup of tea. No, they just come from different wings of the philosophical divide. That's okay. The guy knows how to get things done, and he's worked well with our office to actually get, get some things accomplished over Len, the years. Len, what is your response to skeptical Marylanders who say there's no way Peter Francho could ever win Democratic primary? That's just absolutely untrue. I, well, there are several ways to answer this. I'll break this down to three points. Number one, we've pulled this thing up, down, left, and right, and there, he has no issues whatsoever with the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Peter Fran- if, you're, if your viewers and listeners don't recall anything else from this show, listen to this, guys. Peter Franco's issues, such as they have been, have exclusively been with the Annapolis Democratic machine. And there's, that is something that's entirely different from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Peter Franco has been there for 30 years on every progressive social issue, he led the fight against slot machines, which is the most regressive form of taxation that has ever been devised by policymakers in the state of Maryland. He has uh, he has been there on uh, on uh, handgun, you know, strong handgun legislation throughout his career. 
um, choice, LGBT protections, right down the line. He does not have an issue with the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Number two, um, if he did have a prog- an issue with the progressive wing of the party, we would have seen it at the ballot box. He would have been primaried at some point over the course of his career. And he certainly did not lose to Angel Fukin. He was never primaried, and he and last November he became the the highest vote getter in the history of the state of Maryland. You can't do that without the strong support of people across the philosophical 1. spectrum. 1.6 million votes. 1.6 million votes. And number three, I think Peter Franco, in his in his infinite wisdom, has found, for want of a better term, the sweet spot of Maryland electoral politics. He is a social progressive, but he is a fiscal moderate who, who measures success and commitment by the outcomes that we get from an investment rather than by simply how much money we shovel toward it. He's a guy who believes in creating a level playing field between small, local, and independent businesses and the big corporations, such as what we did with the craft, with craft beer reform. That's right. And number three, the political reform that he's been talking about, um, uh, computer-based redistricting that takes it entirely out of the hands of human beings, um, single-member districts to, that eliminates these slates. This is political reform that's going to give power back to the people and take it away from the Annapolis political chieftains, and that is fundamentally a progressive idea. So, no, I, I, th- I think I think anybody who thinks that Peter Franco can't win a you know, can't win the pro- progressive support in a Democratic primary, they're listening to the conventional wisdom around state circle, and they're not looking at the evidence in front of them. I think that some people are a bit myopic or short-sighted in their thoughts. And it's like, where are we today to think that Peter Franco, who was often considered one of the most progressive members of the Maryland House of Delegates, yet understands how to compromise? For example, he and the governor formed a historic, monumental compromise with the P3 project. And Peter Franco... He stood out and said, look, this is not where we need to be. And I'm, I'm not going to go any further, Governor. I respectively have to, to ask you to please consider what we're proposing, what my constituents here in Montgomery County are, are asking us to do. And the governor, to his credit, came around. And I talked to him. I talked to the governor today. He listened. He, and he, I, I said, I told him, I said, Gov, I said, I know that things got a little dicey there for a bit. But I said... I really appreciate the way that you guys can work together and get it done. And yet, it, it's like because of Franco's positive relationship with the governor, there's some Democrats, namely people like Christina Gensberg from the great county of Montgomery, would hold that against him to say having a relationship with, with Hogan is bad. Having a rela- You can't. You've you got to fight him at every turn. And people like Christina Ginsburg. Well, you know, people like Christina Ginsburg have never served in government. These are these are people who have always these are wow. people who have always sat in the seven hundred seat of the bleachers and have looked at the action on the field. Do you remember one of the greatest Aaron Sorkin movies ever made? And I'm a big sucker for Aaron Sorkin in the way that he weaves 
emotional emotion and politics together. It's a fusion that I think is fascinating. And it was a movie with Michael Douglas called The American President. Oh, my God, yeah. And it was like... And there was a scene where he and his chief of staff, A.J., who was played by none other than Martin Sheen, they were playing pool, and they were talking about a gun bill. And he, the president, played by Michael Douglas, got pissed off and said, A.J., what, what's it like to... What's it like looking down from the cheap seats? You know, you've never had your name on a ballot. Christina Ginsburg is consummately looking from the cheap seats. And it's, and, it's, and it's easy to look at the world in binary terms if you're sitting, if you're sitting up, in the, up in the high decks of the cheap seats looking down at the action and the game, looking down at the game on the field. Um, but the f- reality of the situation is that the people of Maryland, and I think this is true of people everywhere, they expect their government to work. Yes, they do. You know, and if and if for a democratic control for a democratic comptroller to refuse to work with a Republican governor just because they hail from different parties, that would be telling the people of Maryland that they made a mistake. Yes. That they shouldn't have elected a Republican governor and a Democratic comptroller because they can't work together. Can I tell you, as a means to switch topics as we go into the final stretch of this program tonight that on opening day of Annapolis and if you're watching it's you start out with meeting meeting all kinds of folks up at the state house then the session they they gavel in and they elect their presiding officers and then what comes after is the fun and that's where you're walking around to the different uh, lobbyist parties yeah yeah and it's fun it's of course a place that former NAACP chief Ben Jealous would absolutely loathe because he said remember Mako was just a place to go down and party with lobbyists so I think the opening day certainly would not have as been as opposed to Silicon Valley which is where you know he chose to try to raise his own money for his gubernatorial race not only that, perhaps in Silicon Valley he's thinking of a cleaner and more efficient way to inject chemicals into young kids through his fat paychecks well, through Jewel, right? Uh, we're doing some good work on the EFAX task force. That's we're trying right. to come up with a better regulatory framework for those things. But the receptions today, I started out, I went to John Pika's reception up here. Wow, what a legend he John is, John right? Pika, the, what an the Italian stallion. He is, isn't he? Yes, he of really course. Is. There I saw Delegate, Delegate Ivy. I saw Mother Ivy, County Councilwoman, Jolene Ivy, who yeah. is an absolute legend. She is. Uh, who else did I see? State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby. I saw County Executive Oshetsky, and they had some good tacos there. They did. I made Good my, oysters, too. I did not have the oysters, just the tacos. I believe the oysters were on the right side, and the tacos were on the left oh side. Oh, my God. Look at this. Look who, look who just came look in. Look who just came in. Greg Snyder is in the house, everyone. From Bellamy Gent. Can you believe it? It seems like that... The Maryland Catholic Conference is just not in service anymore because their entire staff left. So I don't, I don't know what's going on over there, but uh, God bless them. God bless them, and we'll say a Hail Mary for them. So, Yeah, but let me, let me just say something about Greg Snyder. When, when Senator Johnny Ray Salling shocked the political world by upending then-delegate Johnny Olszewski yes. to win that Senate seat in 2014, he had never served in political office. He had never, been, he had never held elected office. And people were wondering... 
how he was going to do. And it turned out he became a lawmaker of consequence and stature in his town. A lot of that was due to the guiding hand of none other than Greg Snyder. Can I give one piece of advice to Johnny Ray? Stop tweeting. Just don't tweet. Is, that, is he tweeting again? Well, I, I, I would just say be careful. Maybe not stop. Johnny Ray's a good and decent, honorable guy. What's he tweeting about? Well, I would just be cautious with who runs his Twitter account. So. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I'm not even on Twitter. Yes. I, I get in enough trouble on Facebook. Your Facebook posts. <laughs> <laughs> Colin J. Foster. Colin J. Foster. The legend. <laughs> the legend. I can't, why is he running off Peter French or he doesn't even have a candidate? Colin J. Foster has declaratively stated to the entire world. He announced the, to the political world at, at 11.51 last night he's not going to be supporting Peter Francho. He's not going to work for Peter Francho. Right. So am I missing an offer that was extended to him? Literally nobody asked and literally no one cares. And there he is, publicly coming out on Twitter. The next thing he's going to have to do is figure out his next payroll check from Brianna Urbina's campaign. I would cash that thing quickly. I would cash that check quickly. Or he could tap into political boss Denny Hoyer. And let me just, uh, he, I'm sure we're having a lot of fun with him. I'm sure he's a nice, I don't know Colin. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Yeah, we're, we're being he's a bit fun. jovial. Yeah. Another reception I went to was Alexander and Cleaver today. And I went, and they had a spread of uh, some, some sandwiches. They have a great spread, don't they? They, they had some uh, wraps. Um, Did they have the turkey chili? The turkey chili? I don't know. Um, Did they have chili at Alexander Cleaver? Oh, I, that's right. She's... What? I know she doesn't work there, Manny. I'm just asking. No, she does not. I don't work there either, but I still went to the reception. I but just I, got stuck in the front. They had a... I did not have any of their food, <laughs> but I did have a Diet Coke there. And uh, Why are you talking about this? <laughs> I just like to talk about the food. I mean, it was. Did you go to Jerry Evans' this thing? I did go to Jerry Evans. And do you know, Jerry Evans is a nice guy. He has no idea who the hell I am, but he acts like he knows me. Did you see who was walking around? John Willis. John, yes. John Willis was walking around, his preferred candidate for the 7th Congressional District. Yes. Law professor Michael Higginbotham. Ah. And, and, and I'm telling you, I don't know who, I don't know who this gentleman is, but I, I did meet him. He's an impressive guy. Red, and, what? I was just. Oh, the firefighters at Fox Den was that 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 was packed. It was sweaty. No, that's, that's right. True. So that reception was was pretty good. They had pizza. They had bacon pizza, red red wine. Where Jerry Evans was, that was a big reception. Another, um, of course, Harry Brown's here downstairs. That was another classic. No, but, but Michael Hickenbotham's a guy to watch out for. He could be if Is he, he a sleeper. If he, if he can get some, if he can actually get some resources and. Into his campaign, he's a smart guy with ideas. Do you know who Michael Higginbotham should hire? Who? Colin Foster. But he lives in St. Mary's County, man. Well, I mean, he's he's on the market. I guess he is on the market now. Or but, uh, hey, can I give a shout out to some really good progressive activists? Uh-oh. Donovan Hatcher. My, he is a dear friend of mine. Hey, Manny, you know Donovan Hatcher? That's right. Donovan Hatcher is in Iowa now. He was working for the Jill Carter campaign. He is in Iowa now. He is leading the field operation for Joe Biden. Wow. And, I mean, this is a young guy who has a major job ahead of him. Is that right? And he is doing some amazing work. I'm telling you, Donovan Hatcher from Baltimore, formerly of the Joe Carter campaign, now Joe Biden is the real deal. I hope, 
One, if Joe Biden, whatever happens, whatever the outcome is, I hope Donovan comes back to Maryland because we need him back here. Do you know who the real sleeper is in the second congressional district Democratic primary? What second district Democratic primary? Michael Feldman. He is the sleeper <laughs> candidate. Is he running? Yeah. Against who? Against Dutch Rupert. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. Hey, Manny. Is Michael Feldman running against Dutch? I'm not sure. <laughs> he is not. I swear to God. If you can you go find to that out, man? State Board of Elections right now, second <laughs> district. Not against Dutch. <laughs> he is, I swear to God. <laughs> the, the one who's in Congress. Yeah. The, one, the former county executive. <laughs> You're stupid. He's not running. I swear Dutch. to God he's running. Look, man, he's looking it up. <laughs> Michael Feldman is is running for Congress. I'm not kidding. Who's leading him in the battle? Bobby Moore. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, he's not. You know, I mean, he's probably must be like a district. He's running some city council race or something. Right? Pro- Manny's looking right now. He's on it. So the second congressional you're stupid. No, I'm not. I'm telling. I told you he's running. Lynn's looking down at the list currently of who are all the declared Democratic candidates in the second congressional district. I didn't know he filed. I mean, when did he, he file like last May? You know, I tell you what, there is a real race on the Republican side of the seventh congressional district with the famed Roy B- or Ray Bly, who is running again. Oh, Ray Bly, he's he's out there. Yeah. <laughs> The Sisyphus of, of Maryland politics. I can't believe Michael is <laughs> running. But you know the look. You got to stop it. You got. You're an idiot. You got to. Res- you got to respect anyone who's willing to put their name on a ballot, right? I do, and I'm not. I'm not. We're just, we're just having a good time. I know. I'm not laughing. Why would you? Yeah, you know, I don't know. There's this guy, uh, he lives in the, he lives on Spa Road down here in Annapolis. His name is John Ray, and he has, it's REA, and he has run for every office in the last 20 years. You know, he's a great guy. He's a, he's a, he's a smart guy. He's, a, he's, a, he's an engaging guy. He doesn't have a lot of money. He, he never wins, but he, he sees these campaigns as an opportunity and a platform for getting his ideas out. You know, he, he goes to campaign forums and, he does his thing, and he talks about the issues about which he's passionate, and that's all good. Two things. I heard that Andy Harris is being primary by a Republican. Oh, yeah. I, I can't remember the person's name. But that's he was a- here walking around today, and you know who I did not see was sure. congressional candidate Neil Parrott. Oh, really? Running for Congress. In the great 6th District. In the 6th District, where I live and was born and raised, and... Where he's going to take on David Trump? Well, he might be back in Hancock or <laughs> Clear Spring, or you know, actually campaigning, going door to door and looking for votes. Yeah, I, well, I Mr. Parrott is 
out of the gates and as and right. You, I heard some political gossip today, Lynn. A couple things is they're they're already gaming now. Who's going to run for comptroller in 2022? Of course, we'd be remiss to not mention. Senator Joe uh, uh, Rosapep. Jim Rosapep will be a formidable candidate, though. Jim Rosapep for, and then there's a f- Kumar Barbe. Mm-hmm. I think he's here. I think Delegate Barbe, Chairman Barbe, is here. Um, now, J- listen, Jim is Jim is a smart guy, and Jim yes. is, and Jim has had an interest in tax issues, tax policy for uh, yeah. as, as long as I've known him. An ambassador, yeah. and uh, rounding out the the candidate list of comptroller of maryland in 2022 um the word on the street in southern maryland if you say it i'm gonna like go ahead the word on the street in southern maryland is that colin j foster is gonna run for comptroller comptroller (laughs) just to seek exact revenge on the on the comptroller's office in the state of maryland you get a car you get a car and driver out of it I also heard an interesting story. I don't know if this is true or not, that Tom Hucker might be running for comptroller. Have you heard that? No, I haven't heard that. Well, that's interesting to me. I like Tom. I've known Tom a long time. Yes, I, I saw I him wor- today. I worked with Tom when he was the executive director of Progressive Maryland, yep. and I was working doing mass transit uh, mm-hmm. in Governor Glenn Denning's administration. <clears throat> now Tom smart Hucker. Smart guy. Yeah, very smart policy guy. Now he is the chairman of the uh, the... Montgomery County Council's Transportation yeah. Committee. Sidney Katz, the county council president, was down here today. And I heard a bit of political gossip that Mayor of Hankerstown Bob Brucci is going to run for council and Emily Keller is going to run for mayor. I don't know Emily Keller. Tell me about her. Emily Keller is a 32-year-old uh, longtime Hankerstonian, and she is on... In her first term on the city council, she has championed opioid addiction as her top issue to uh, to work with resources and government to, for her. to stop the the to prevent uh, more opioid overdoses, and has done a pretty great job and has partnered with uh, a number of organizations. One being Brooks House mm-hmm. uh, in Hagerstown, and uh, she's worked with local leaders like David Trone. Um, and she suffered an unimaginable tragedy, much like David Trone, who lost his nephew. She lost her best friend. And she uh, is a, a fierce, um, just a, a fierce person and someone who gets the job done. She's young, she's energetic, and she's going to win. She's going to be the next mayor of Hagerstown. I hope so. It's, it the sounds sixth, like she has a good profile. That, yeah. Let me just say something about Bob Brucci, if I can. Sure. And, I, and listen, I, I, I know I, I don't follow <clears throat> Hagerstown politics that closely, but I... I I know that he's he's won elections, he's lost elections, and there are people who love Bob Rucci, and there are people who, for whom he's not their cup of tea. The only way you can judge somebody is by your own relationship with him, and I have always found him to be a good partner, mm-hmm. a man of his word. Uh, we've worked together on the uh, on the Hagerstown Stadium issue. You heading out, Manny? Bye, Manny. Manny Walsh, everyone. Bye, Manny. Thanks, buddy. Absolutely. You guys are a blast, Luke. Greg, Riley, have fun, guys. guys. Thanks for stopping by. Riley, tear it up on the judicial proceedings. We are proud of you, Riley. All right. He's just—he's just a good. You know, he has been a—he has been a good guy uh, to to work with. Bob Brucci. In a fight, you want Bob Brucci. I agree. And you know that we had an issue. You may remember this a couple years ago. 
there was this unfortunate issue where there were some we had some geocoding issues in our tech on our office technology that resulted in local income tax money going being assigned to the wrong cities and yep. towns and it could have been a real entanglement for the city of Hagerstown because they owed a, a lot of money. Bob Brucci could have made it a big issue. He didn't. He said, "We're going to work it out. It's no big, you know. Uh, we we have a way to we have a way to go about it. Mm. Um, we he, I understand, Mr. Comptroller. This is not your issue. Appreciate your help in helping us solve it. And That's a, he, he earned the, he earned our respect with that whole thing. You know, there's a. I grew up in Hagerstown and. There's a number of just unbelievable people in the community, Don Bowman being one of them, uh, the, the Fulton family who yeah. owns AC&T, of course, Blackie Bowen. A, a, couple, uh, um, a couple guys I really like. One is, and I think he's still the chair of the Greater Hagerstown Committee, Jim Kirchival. Jim Kirchival, former county commissioner and owned a place called Kirchival's Chicken, was the best chicken in all of Hagerstown. Seriously? It was, yeah. It was. It used to be out in the north end of Hagerstown. Well, and the great thing about Jim is that he, well, one of the many great things is he is the, he has been a longtime Little League administrator, yes. league president, and I did the same thing in Easton. So we have, for years, compared notes as a Little League coach and president uh, because they can be kind of thankless, time-consuming yeah. jobs. The other guy I love is Clarence Hurst. He's Clarence a prominent Hurst. realtor with Coldwell Banker, and we're actually roommates because um, the comptroller's office has moved the space in the com- in the mm-hmm. Coldwell Banker building on Dual Highway. Yeah. So we, every time we go out there, used to be uh, near the National Park Service. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I knew that building well. In fact, when I was a board member um, of the Brooklyn Foundation, which is a continuum of mental, it's a mental health community. Yeah. Um, when I was a board member for them, uh, we used to go and meet in Clarence's uh, conference room. I was just in there a couple of months ago. Okay, and yeah, now there's a there's a there's a that's a window into the psychology of Marylanders. Mm. Clarence Clarence Hurst is a pretty conservative Republican. He is. You know Clarence. He's he's as rock ribbed a Republican as they come. And Peter Francho is a strong you know yellow dog Democrat. Yeah, but. You know what? They share a commitment to a certain set of bedrock values, and they actually get along remarkably well. They do, and, and they and the party the party differences don't mean anything. They, they they like each other. They respect one another. Peter will pick up the phone and call Clarence, ask for his advice on this issue or that issue, and it's just a warm, trusting relationship. He's a, just a great guy. I agree, Lynn. How do we end this thing tonight? If you say Colin Falls. <laughs> <laughs> if if only he could have joined us to be part Bring of him in. I I am opening the detail up to anybody. If you want to come on, come on. Let's talk. I mean, look, we're doing this. I'm doing this live streaming thing in my in my office, my home office, and it's turned out really well. It's it's increasing engagement. And if you're watching on Facebook now, and I I think there's a few people watching, and this will all be posted. Um, we appreciate it. It's. I like I like to read the comments after because of course we can't see the comments now, but this is this okay. Is, let's let's end it this way. Ten questions had to do with Mad Men. Okay, and, and you're you're typically the journalist. Let's let's reverse roles. All right, I'll be I'll ask you the questions this time. Okay, okay. Number one, Betty or Megan? Megan. Okay. My wife is gonna freaking kill me. Oh, if yeah, Kim thanks. is listen, if you are listening, Kim, and she's probably gonna Kim over everybody, but she but hates Megan. Megan. 
You hate She hates Megan. Why would you hate Megan? Oh, she thinks she's a horse. Oh, the, yeah. I, okay. But I'm going to go with Megan. It's that Zuby Zuby Zoo thing, oh, right? Oh, God. I'm going to have, in fact, I might have to go home tonight and ask my wife to do that dance. <laughs> <laughs> that is way too, way too much, way too much information. It is. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, Don Draper's best side piece, Suzanne. Suzanne, Suzanne. Oh, yeah, we talked about that last time, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna still. I'm We're gonna, gonna still, get accused by Owen Silverman Andrews of oh sexism. Oh my god! But I want you to continue. Okay, because I would go with Rachel. Uh, but, uh, oh, Suzanne, Rachel Minkin. Yeah, but I, Suzanne. Rest her, God rest her soul. On the show, I mean, Rachel Siff is still alive. Oh, she's alive. still yeah. very much alive. Yeah. Right. Um, I think she's, I forget what show she was on. Um, but anyway, um, best episode of all time. Oh, for me, that's, there's, there's several. Um, I would say it's between the suitcase and probably, um, what is it, the carousel. The carousel. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that question after the whole, um, th- the one we did at Call Classic. My favorite is the one where the four partners, uh, Don and and uh, Lane Price and Roger, they all got together on that one crazy weekend I, and started their own firm. I got to stop you. Oh, my God. No kidding. Hey, hey. Look at this. Hey, I got to stop you. Oh, my God. Do you, know who just, right do you know who just walked up? This is a legend. <laughs> do you know who can just I, can, walked Can I give you the headphones, sir? Sure. Oh my God! This is an I, what a privilege. I can't even introduce him. He's got to introduce himself because he's an Annapolis legend. Talk right up in here. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> Le- oh my! <laughs> we just figured out Look that you, guy. who's running in the Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> when you see one of us, you see the other. His soon-to-be opponent, uh, uh, perhaps the new incumbent congressman uh, Michael Feldman, facing off with Johnny Race. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are the District 6 crew. Absolutely. Yeah. Johnny Ray Siling and State Delegate Rick Metzger. Rick at your Metzger. Service. You guys are something. I saw you guys all over Annapolis today. And, of course, Senator Siling, he's running for Congress. You got, you're, you're running hard, man. Yes. yes. How's that going? I, I, it's going great. I'm, I'm very happy it's going well. I got some great support. Um, we're getting out through all the counties and meeting all the uh, central committees, a lot of good people have an opportunity to meet with uh, people from Havre de Grace, uh, yeah. Annapolis. So it's been exciting. Well, I, I'm gonna we're gonna watch this, and it's gonna be a lot of fun. So, and I'm sure being down here, you know, you probably go home on the weekends and do the door knocking and yes. getting out there at all these events, and probably have more chicken dinners than you can. You probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, I look forward to those chicken dinners, but. More than anything, if we have the opportunity to really represent people in the second congressional district, and to not just to go to Washington D.C. Yeah. and just make a statement there, but I think we need to make a statement to our people in the state of Maryland, to the second congressional district, to our nation, <clears throat> to our president, you know, to good people that we know that uh, we can just uh, say, "Hey, we're there for you." Uh, earlier, I was walking on, um, was it West Street or State Street? What's the Main Street here? Is it Main Street? Main Street. Main Street. And um, I I had to fish Bob Long out of the harbor, so I'm (laughs) sorry. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's that's all right. It happens. (laughs) He he and John Donahue were taking a boat, so. (laughs) No, I'm just. 
<laughs> That's Lynn. <laughs> I like fishing. It's a great sport. Well, if you only knew. Ooh, we got to get you guys. You know, I hear there's a cigar bar down the street, so we yeah. Get... <laughs> Lynn's never been invited, so yeah. Um, gentlemen. As Lynn is walking away, real quick, what, what was memorable to you today, both obviously in different chambers, Senator, our Delegate Metzger in the House, uh, uh, a change of leadership, and tell me what was special about today. Really a heart-wrenching moment today. Oh, I'm sure. And with um, Cherie, uh, um, I've drawn a blank, a senior moment, Cherie, um, the, the Speaker Pro Tem. Yes. Um, what a joy I, she is to serve with. Yeah, she is is humble, and she gave all the glory to the Lord for where she was. And to hear her publicly state that her profession of faith, and when she walked over and gave her mother the Bible mm-hmm. that she was raised on, that was a very special moment. And I can imagine because as a man of faith, both of you, right. I, I can imagine that was such an important, touching moment. And the same, when I was, I was on the Senate side, right. and um, Senator Salen, of course, witnessed, as I did, the, the, the proverbial handoff, the handing over the baton of the power of a man who served for, what, 34 years, as yeah. 33, 34 years, as the Senate president was first elected, what, 75, um, and then became Senate president in 86, mm-hmm. and to, it was touch. I thought Senator Miller speech today it yes. was just it was wonderful it was it was amazing i mean <clears throat> a lot of people want to see things what we've seen today just to change but yeah mike miller was a, such a presence yeah. and i think he i think he still will be uh we'll be working with him in budget and tax yeah um and we'll be doing some things maybe together i don't know but i i think uh the the new president uh senate bill ferguson um, uh, what he said that really was resounding. Yeah. Um, just the things that we, uh, uh, I think, uh, going to know, I think, more about what he's really about. I, I, I met him just recently uh, being in the same committee in budget tax, uh, and I've just seen some of the things we do have in common in our neighboring districts. So I think it's a great opportunity that we're going to have to work together and yeah. do some great things. Yeah. Let me, let me just jump in here real quick, Please. Ryan. Today... What was also very setting was that Delegate Sandy Rosenberg set the case by quoting Ecclesiastes when he said, for every time there's a season, for every time there's a reason. And when he shared that, he talked about Speaker Bush and and the transfer with Adrian Jones. And then for Adrian Jones to get up and to recognize again Mrs. Bush and the two daughters. I thought it'd be touching. It was a, it was a very uh, heart wrenching today. It was a joy. We ended session last year. What was it? April tenth, April 9th or tenth, right. on a, a a truly somber note. I did not want to see the balloons to drop. No, and I was in the yeah I, yeah I was in the chamber when that happened, and it was it was a tough moment for very, all very the, quiet. The, yeah, sure. the the day prior to the the session's ending was the day that speaker our speaker bush had passed away but ryan let me just say this i believe the next 90 days 
are going to be a real turning point for the state of Maryland. I hope so. I believe that the legislature this year has real opportunity to do some great, great things. I know it's going to be some arm twisting. I know it's going to be some heart-wrenching times. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be some thought-processing stretching for a lot of people to look at the to take their blinders off and look at the state as a whole yeah and um i i i'm looking forward to doing and and again if you heard the polls you know the crime we've got to we've got to stop putting band-aids on it and really really do something about the crime oh and sure some of these what is it 32 candidates running for congress and 17 Ooh. running for for the mayor and several I heard yesterday, I only heard one that really had a plan and um, that really made sense. So uh, it's going to be such a really interesting time. Can I, can I, I was, say? Yes. Can I say that I love the beard? Yeah. <laughs> it looks good on you. Thank you, sir. I'm serious. As a man who likes to wear the beard in the wintertime, I got to tell you, and look, the, the more that. It, the older I get, I, I mean, every month I get more gray in this thing. And it's like, my wife was like, oh, you got some gray in there. Well, I still have a dark eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the, the beard mustache is all gray. So. Yeah. But uh, I want to say, Ryan, to you that I appreciate your podcast. And I, Thank I you. really enjoy listening to it. I, I don't get to it. listen to it the whole hour and eight minutes or whatever it is. <laughs> but with you and Lynn here, where did he go? He's, he's behind us. He's taking off somewhere. Yeah. But uh, I just, uh, I want you to know, I appreciate everything you do. Well, and thank you, Deli. How you keep up with things. <laughs> well, you're a good man, and I, I always appreciate that. And you guys, you guys have a fun delegation. <laughs> you really do. You're, it's, it's, uh, it's good. You guys interact well. And, and, Really, I, you have one of the. My wife is from Baltimore County. She grew up in Reisterstown, and it's personal. It's home to her. And I grew up in Washington County, and in, your district has a f- kind of a similar flavor—a working class environment. Yeah. And uh, to me, that uh, yeah, it all of this is personal. So yeah. Yeah. here comes Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> well, We're, I want to thank you because uh, being raised in the Baltimore area. Yeah. Um, and you're right. It's a very blue collar type. Yeah. I, my father and uh, my family, uh, being the blue collar type worker that my father was, and I know that I was for years, and Rick Metzger himself, you know, we were the type of the middle class that we got by and we still did okay. That's right. And we, I, I think people appreciate that. I, I'm, Look, you're just middle class guy. We're middle class people trying to make it in this country. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and that's what it's all about. That's why you come to Annapolis. Yeah. You work hard for your constituents. You want to make sure that their lives are better. That you serve your community. You bring resources back. So, well, I just want to say one more thing, please. Uh, I think Rick, our delegate, hit it on the head. Um, there are so many problems we do have. I think education is going to be priority down here at this time. But I think our biggest problem that does lie in our nation in our state in our county in our communities is having safer communities and we know the crime rate has gone up <clears> sky high in baltimore county and we know the problems in the city of baltimore and we do need help in those areas we need more police out there in the counties and in the cities we need uh, more help in the volunteers through our state uh, with our communities with our cop um, and I know some of the groups that are doing that in our communities, are it's working. And we really need to find ways that we can help our communities so they can be safer, um, so we can help our police officers, so we can, again, put them on a beat. But uh, it's just a tragedy 
and it's been said every week we hear somebody being shot, killed in some way, shape, or form, and it's it's sad. Yeah. And I'm just hoping that we can find remedy yeah. and help this out. So I'm hoping that things make a quick turnaround. This is our home. Yes. The city of Baltimore is our economic engine. It's where we we do business, where we take our families, yeah. where there's been so much history for decades. Think about all that has happened in, right here in the state of Maryland. And first and foremost, we can't have a productive community if it's unsafe. Yes. So I'm hoping that legislators can... I, there's no partisanship attached to this. This is... Th- these issues just need to be worked out and, and figured out and solved in a reasonable, pragmatic, and, a, and, and have these policy goals. But really, we just got to get these communities back on track. And it's sad. Every time someone loses a life to senseless gun violence, to me, that, that it's, it's heartbreaking it for the families. For, so I'm hoping that you uh, and your colleagues in the state Senate and in the House will... Um, put your heads together and make some progress this session, Senator. I think we can, and I think we will. And Good. with all my heart, I want to. Well, and I appreciate I you, Ryan. Well, thank I you appreciate so you too, sir. It, can you get Lynn back? Please? I will. Okay. You got it. Senator, thank you. Thank you, and I'll see you around. Yep. You know you will. Thank okay. you. Lynn Foxwell. Lynn and I are wrapping up. Let's wrap this up. Seven. 7.51 on Wednesday, January the 8th. We're at Harry Brown's. And, of course, we had Delegate Rick Metzger, who is growing did the... You, did you talk on Yeah, he did. Who's, who's grown the best beard in, this, in the House of Delegates. <laughs> Look at this. this man, he typically doesn't rock the beard. Can, but, I, can I just say something about Delegate Metzger oh, for, please. So, for a second? So, in the Comptroller's Office, particularly this time of year, January through April, it's, it's a legislative session, but it's also the tax filing season, mm-hmm. so... A lot of the lawmakers who are down here in Annapolis for session are also dealing with rest of constituents who have tax-related issues, you know, whatever they may be. And it could be a countless number of issues that they deal with. I get more constituent calls from Delegate Metzger, I believe, than any other member of the House of Delegates put together. And what 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 I attribute that to is the fact that he is so dialed in and so in touch with his constituents and the people who pay his salary and they're and they're set and they're and they're just honest they're not people who are trying to game the system they're just good people who just need help and they just need someone from the government to listen to them and he's such a pleasure to work with do you charge him by call <laughs> no <laughs> there are the taxpayers are already paying for they're paying for the phones and they're paying for the people answering the phones so they've already paid delegate metzger Rick, thank you, man. Thank you, sir. And and, um, Jake Day, the mayor of Salisbury, is here. The coming off of a fresh election to, I mean, it's unbelievable. Sit down. Sit down, Jake. Get in here, man. How are we doing? I'll tell you how we're doing is that I'm happier than, I'm I'm happier than Jake Burdett. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness, Jake! That's pretty happy. That's, too, man. You guys uh, yeah. share a you guys share a good name, uh, Mayor. We do 
Congratulations on winning re-election. Thank you so much. The Salisbury is in good hands for another four years. I think so. And we got a good council. And uh, you do. We have, um, uh, you know, I ran into. At the same time, I ran into both of our senators. Salisbury is is split and is served by two senators, um, Senator Carosa and Eckert, and they uh, were mentioning tonight that. Um, we have something that uh, many communities long for, which is consensus. You know, we're we're headed in one direction, and we're united, and uh, we know where we're going. It's never been about politics for you. It's about good government. Well, That's what I've noticed of Salisbury, and you guys have transformed the city into a hub. Look, what <laughs> I remember, I think one of our last... We, we've done a couple of shows together uh, last year, and one was when Bob Culver was uh, raising hell. Remember that, Lynn, when County Executive Bob Culver um, uh, just, you know who he is. I, I, I I've heard, I, did you, you've heard of him. Yeah. And I, was, I, was, I know who Bob Culver is, and I, was, and I was there last fall when Bob Culver, for reasons unknown to anyone other than Bob Culver, went to the then Senate President Mike Miller for no other reason than to try to uh, disrupt, if not completely destroy, the, the folk. National Folk Festival, which is one of the premier tourist destinations on the East Coast and has been a major cog in the renaissance yeah. of downtown Salisbury. Much thanks Simply to... because he's, because of sheer rank jealousy of Mayor Day and what he's managed to accomplish in his city. Well, and much thanks to yeah, Mayor Day and, and your council. That I, I Next year I'm going to go. You need to. I'm going to be down you there. You've got a place to stay, so you have no excuse. I will. We will gladly you. will host you us? Kim. Yes, absolutely. Kim and I, are, we're, we're, we're very quiet and clean. So, so. <laughs> Well, then that will be in co- sharp contrast okay. <laughs> to my three- and four-year-old, <laughs> well, who, are, who are neither quiet nor clean. <laughs> well, um, I'll tell Kim, and if she's watching, she'll appreciate that, because we both love the city of Salisbury. Well, good. And, come uh, see us. Yeah, no, I am, and I'm going to come down, and I think the three of us... Len, what do you think about doing a show over at Evo? I, th- I think that would be amazing. Yeah. I, I, it, why, don't we, uh, why don't we try to do it sometime later on this, maybe like a mid-session review of yeah. where the legislative session is and how it is affecting Maryland's rural communities. I think that's perfect. And Let's do that. We will. And, Jake, as we carry— John, John Knorr, one of Maryland's preeminent brewers, will be there with his new wife, Jasmine. Uh, they're beautiful young family, Jake and you and I. I think maybe, it's great. Maybe Bob Culver will even come Bob by. Bob Culver will stop by and have a, an Evo um, IPA. This is, in, this is his invitation. This is, this is County Executive Culver's invitation, who, when I asked for comment on the record, um, he did not provide it immediately, but then gave me a standard boilerplate response. So. And if, Bob, and, and if, and if, we, if we have to run this through... Uh, Wicomico County's communications director, Bob Culver, will do that as well. Bob Culver, who also looks like he's been selling life insurance for 37 years. So um, I, it, I, I don't know what his career was. Why are you throwing down on life insurance salesman? I'm what? not, but he looks like a guy who sells life insurance. <laughs> I well, he's had several this. careers in our <laughs> community. I don't sure. think selling life insurance is one of them that you know, I know of. You know who my but, favorite was? Is the guy who ran a catch suit. <laughs> the, the, the guy that like showed up in town and he, he was, had a he, had he a was very angry that anyone asked what his career was. <laughs> he said, "That's not your business." Was, he's this retired. Was, yeah, this was Wayne King. Uh, yeah, Wayne King. Who, who ran? 
Uh, and after after all was said and done, had 14% of the vote. Yes, and I still see on the Eastern Shore signs for Jonathan Goff, who ran for Congress at one point. He still has a sign on Route 50 right outside of uh, <laughs> it's like right outside of um, where the the outlets are coming out of Queen Anne's County. Ooh. Uh, so, Ryan, when we do our update at Evolution yeah. Craft Brewing in Salisbury, our mid-session update, yeah. um, one of the things that I'm going to want us to, I'm going to want you to be able to talk about is one of the bills that the city of Salisbury has has asked our delegation sure. to put in, which is a bill to create a Salisbury Board of License Commissioners, okay. similar to the Annapolis Board of License ah, Commissioners. I see where you're going with this. And this is, this is yes, in part due to the response that we received from our county yeah. executive, the manipulation, the behind-the-scenes manipulation mm. of the Wicomico County Board of License Commissioners, whose chair is his, also his executive assistant. Yeah. Problematic, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, political influence doesn't belong in uh, quasi-judicial there, there boards is such and commissions like that. Agreed. There is such thing as this machine. There is a machine. It exists. It does it exist. Exists. And sometimes it, uh, it, sometimes it operates more openly than it should, <laughs> yeah. and they get caught. Jake, will you stay with us in the, in the hot seat as Lynn and I finish out our our show on Mad Men. Lynn was at question four. We were doing a top okay. ten. Lindy, stay Lindy, stay no. right here. No, no, no. Uh, stay right with us, Mayor. We were so you asked me, Megan or Megan or Megan or Betty. Be, or Betty. You picked and I, Megan. Megan. And I you said who was his best side piece? And I said, you Suzanne, said Suzanne. Suzanne. Are you a Mad Men fan, yeah, Jake? I would have said Betty. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay, best side piece. I- well, he did have Betty as a side piece in the one episode where they went off to camp. Remember? Where, That's true. Where young, where um, what was the kid's name? It, the, the girl was Sally, and Sally the boy was Bobby. Bobby. Bobby, Bobby. right? Um, and then you asked me my favorite episode, which was the suitcase, the carousel, and I also liked the episode where they landed on the moon. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it was the same. It was the same episode where Burt Cooper passed away. Passed away, which was July twentieth, nineteen sixty nine. Right. Yeah. Um, so, what was your question for? We're doing the top ten Mad Men. Okay, I probably only have five. Well, we're yeah. trying to go to ten. I okay. mean, you're good at this, Len. Okay. Uh, best minor character in the history of Mad Men. Minor character. Um, oof. Like ancillary character. Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna say. Um, Oh, what was the guy who um, who got fired? Um, I really liked him. Um, I'm gonna go with Bob Benson. Oh no, I didn't like Bob Benson. That was a weird character plot. Uh-huh. But but no, I can see that. But um, what was the guy who who was oh, fired and then hung himself? Oh, Lane Price. Lane Price. Yeah, I liked. Him. Well, maybe he wasn't a minor character. He was a. I mean, he was a partner in the firm. Yeah, so I don't yeah. know if that would count. Um, that was heartbreaking. How about Betty's new husband, the Republican consultant, the the, advi- the senior advisor to Governor Rockefeller, who Governor who Rocky, Rocky um, Henry Henry Francis Henry Francis. I liked Henry. I, I liked always thought he was a decent guy. He was an adult in the room. He was um, when okay. when Donald Trump appointed John Kelly to be his chief of staff. That is the Henry uh, Francis. He was anticipating Henry Francis. And in, we, the, in the wake of in the wake of what in the wake of Anthony Scaramucci's Roger Sterling. How could we forget to the impressionable Ida Blankenship born in 19, 1898 in a barn and died on the 37th floor of a sky, rise. of a skyscraper. She's an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> said said Bert, said Burt Cooper said Burt Cooper who Ida Blankenship who literally 
dropped her head on her desk, and they had to carry her out, and then they closed the office early. Most shocking moment in the history of Mad Men. Um, when, when Joan was raped. Okay, I could see that. That to me, that was shocking. By Dr. Greg Harris. Dr. Greg Harris, who was the biggest piece of shit in Mad Men. Yeah. What else? What about um, biggest horse's ass in the history of Mad Men? Oof. Okay. Okay, I'm going to throw out a name. Lou Avery. Lou Avery, the ad, the veteran ad man, brought in to run tobacco in the aftermath of Don Draper's, who ended up drunk drawing cartoons as a living and went off to draw these in Tokyo. Scout's honor. <laughs> <laughs> who then subsequently, twenty years later, hired Colin J. Foster to be his sidekick, and was last seen was last seen. Leafleting the old Golden Ring Mall in Rosedale for Michael Feldman and his bid to unseat Dutch Rupersberger in the 2020 Democratic primary. All right, <laughs> number seven. What was uh? What's it? Uh, come on, Lynn. Oh God. Okay. Um. How about? Okay. Here, okay. Um. What's better, the the New York episodes or the California episodes? I, well, I think New York. Uh, I mean, I like the California episodes, but how about? Um, of the main cast, of the main secondary cast, mm-hmm. who was the most annoying junior partner? Pete Campbell. Yeah. I was not even close. I, no. What about Harry Crane? Not. No. no. I, you think Pete Campbell? Harry Crane's Harry Crane's a decent guy. He was just a, he was just kind of a socially awkward, nerdy bumbler. Pete Crane was a manipulative little bastard. He was, and my. Great to see him receive some comeuppance. My, oh my God. One of my favorite scenes of Mad Men is when, um, when Pete Campbell's mother was taken advantage of by, what, what was it, the uh, Malolu or the, the... She was thrown overboard, right? Yeah, and, she yeah. went out Died to sea. Died on a cruise. And his father was killed in a plane crash. Yeah. And, and then he looked at Don, he walked into the office and said, I don't know how I feel. And Don Draper, who loathed Pete Campbell, said, well, you should probably just go home. <laughs> so, okay, okay sec- second most annoying character, Ted Shaw. Ted Shaw, who had a, an affair an with, un, uh, just an unrelenting crush on Peggy. Well, they had an affair. They, he, they did. Yeah, he was gonna. They were gonna. He was gonna leave his wife and and start a new life with Peggy. But then he decided to go to the West Coast. He did, and he grew the most atrocious mustache at the at the very end. Yeah. Um, how many questions is that? That's about nine. So, your favorite Roger Sterling moment. Favorite Roger, favorite Roger Sterling. Moment. Favorite Roger Sterling moment of Mad Men. This is probably not his funniest moment, but I thought the way in which he handled his daughter's wedding, hmm. which happened, which, which occurred on the the, the day Saturday after, after the Saturday after JFK, you know, Margaret's wedding. Yes, who was a spoiled brat. On this, the, the day after JFK's assassination, I think I think he had some wit. I think he was poignant. I, I think it was probably his most human moment on the show. Yeah, yeah. I thought that, and of course, I love the scenes between Roger Sterling and and Megan Calvey's mother. Oh, you remember that one, right? It was the uh, the 
where they go the codfish ball. Yes. <laughs> yes. Where young Sally the, discovered. Young Sally opens up the door and and discovered Roger Sterling uh, being in flagrante delicito. That's right. The same <laughs> act of which Alex. <laughs> the same act of which Alexander Hughes accused me of performing on the Comptroller at the Mako party. No, that wasn't Alex Hughes. That was no, no. That, that was, was Melanie Miller. Mel- Melanie Miller, who's an, a legend, Annapolis legend. You guys are doing okay now, right? I get. Well, she removed me from Facebook, so she's probably a lot happier. <laughs> she's much happier. I mean, me not being in Melanie Miller's orbit is the greatest thing for her. Okay, um, if 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 Jake Perdet could be cast as any Mad Men character, who would be who would be the perfect? typecast fit for Jake Burdett. He would have been the none other than Harry Krishna. Um, uh, what was his name? Um, the guy who went to Princeton and then said, this is mohair. Paul Kinsey. Paul Kinsey. <laughs> I was thinking of none other than Ken Cosgrove. Ken Cosgrove, who ended up <laughs> losing an eye to a shotgun. Right. Jake Burdett. And I have to end it on this. If there was, <laughs> if there was one character that Colin J. Foster and Michael Feldman would be casted as, what I would what I would love to have seen <laughs> is for Colin J. Foster and Michael Feldman type characters to join forces and have those two go after the Jaguar account and and harness their collective persuasive skills to land the big car account that would take Sterling, Cooper, Draper, Price all the way to the next level. And as they said, it was a lemon. It was a lemon. And it was a lemon. And back in the 60s, Joan Harris was, they pimped out Joan Harris to that, that big sloppy guy. The, the guy, you know, the guy from Jaguar. You were, um, what was his name? Um... He was a big, sloppy, slavish yeah, his name looking. was Renault or something. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Don Draper made a quip one time, something about basically the last time he saw his, uh, you know, what he's like. You probably haven't seen that for a long time. <laughs> so, well, ladies a- and gentlemen, we are here at the second floor of Harry Brown's. It. We are wrapping up this cold January night, which is the opening day of the session. What more can we say tonight, Len? We've said it all. I'm sure we could have talked about some policy, but what fun is that? You know, I'll 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 end it thusly. Okay. For me, Annapolis has always been about the past, the present, and the future. We have celebrated the giants of Annapolis past. People like Mike Miller, who are clearly in the twilight of historic careers. We're talking about people like Adrian Jones and Bill Ferguson, for whom the future is now. They are in the precipice of historic positions of leadership and we also get to celebrate the future of Maryland politics so we've we've had joining us tonight people like David Moon and Vaughn Stewart and the incomparable Jake Day and coming through these doors and coming through this town today the past present the future that's what makes this whole experience so remarkable it's a pleasure to take the journey with you thank you Lynn thanks for joining this as always Mayor Day thanks for coming up from Salisbury and coming on the detail 
And uh, we'll see, uh, I'm sure we'll see each other soon. I looked forward to this. I did, did not you realize really? I was going to jump into the Mad Men oh, this is me. quiz I'm, hour, but I'm, amazing. I'm glad I did. And next, and, and in the next show, Lynn, we will we'll figure it out another series that we have both watched uh, thoroughly and uh, pick it apart. Have you seen the new Netflix series, You? No, but I'm going. To, I heard about it. Watch it. I um, will. And then and I want to just break it down to the axle seriously. And then you have to watch Messiah. I will actually. Okay, it's very good. So with that, folks, we are um, heading out. It is eight ten. Oh my God, Lynn, we went two hours and ten minutes, but that's okay. Achieved nothing. <laughs> and it, we had a beer. I, it, and this is going back. Bud Light. We don't drink Bud Light around here. Who bought you that? Who bought that? Oh, Todd Lamb. Todd Lamb bought it. <laughs> All right, folks. You know. All right, Lynn has to go home. No, I'm going to eat something here. Okay. Yeah. And while I'm going to... My wife told me I'm on my own. Okay. Well, Carrie's... She's... Mm. She's unbelievable, man. She really is. And we, all three of us married up. Yes, yes. So we all have great wives. So let me tell you, my wife is sitting at home right now, shivering, I'm sure, and complaining about how cold it is, wishing she were back in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> the kids are... No, the... Where are the kids? They're doing something. So Father of the year. I know, right? All right. I know that. I know that. Love. You know what I'm saying? You're like, where are the kids? So. 